Make no mistake, it's not revenge he's after, it's a reckoning. When the music's over, yeah. Is the music really over? Welcome to Friars on the Farm Podcast, and the music is yo. Special friend. Oh, uh, is the fat lady Dead singing? Sound. Well, the fat guy is. <laughs> the fat guy me is singing. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh man! You know it's a roller coaster. It's the music's over. Um, it's the reckoning. Yeah, yeah. It's that something is coming. Yeah, Dennis Lynn. He, he he. Dennis Lynn tends to be pretty optimistic. Yeah. He tends to be fairly realistic. But in his article that came out the other day, he said, no matter what unfolds before the end of the regular season, an organizational reckoning is coming. Oh, man. You know, I read the article today, but I did not read that. I must have skipped over that quote. This was a couple days ago. Okay. All right. I read I read what yeah. you just put out, I think, today. Yeah. But it's it's not looking good for the big league team right now. Holy smokes. Yeah. Every game, you're thinking, and, okay, maybe today is the day they turn it on. And then they go out there and it's just flat you, you know and, and i just so and i tweeted this yesterday it's like and here is my reason here's maybe it's just my misinterpretation of my feelings and i just wanted to watch baseball where it's like for some reason i'm like ah, they could win today god they could they could win and liddy's like you're stupid you're dumb. <laughs> what are you doing no i'm like i want to watch them i want to block why i want to watch Boy, Liddy's a wet blanket, huh? Well, she is like, she can't take any pain. Well, she's taking her pain her whole sports life. Oh, yeah. Being a, a Mets, Mets fan. fan. Yeah. You know, and then coming here in 96 and then had 98 and then dry, then drought. Right, right. Um, so, I mean, like the third pitch, his slider, Darvish's slider was like, wasn't back foot slider. It was like right into the wheelhouse of a lefty. Yeah. And bam, two run shot. Or no, it was a solo shot, right? I don't even. We, 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 I didn't watch the game. Right, and, and we so were I'm out like, doing I'm happy like, stuff ah, instead. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, it's like, okay, fine. But then uh, I had to go. I went and kind of went outside to do something, and then I come back. Did you hear? Did you hear? I'm like, no, what? Three one home run. It's five zero. I'm like, okay, let's go watch something else. And give it a half an inning. Yeah, but it's just the the indefinition of insanity is ex- doing the same thing, expecting different results. Right. And it's much like the night after I would be drinking, waking up, you know, just barf, piss everywhere sometimes, and just are just drunk still. Mm-hmm. And the next night, going, it'll be different this time, right? I'm, it's not gonna, I'm not gonna do that, right? You know, then it's worse if not the same, if not worse. So you're saying that being a Padres fan is like an addiction, and it's an addiction that is well past the age of when like. The drugs and alcohol were working. When drugs and alcohol are working, and you probably should quit, you don't quit because it's working. Well, right. The w- long past due at working is when you're like, okay, I got a problem. Oh, and then by man. that time, you're stuck. You're, you're stuck. Right. But then they bring us back in by by pumping up this roster and giving us a lot of reasons for hope. You know, it, and they looked great in like May, June. I was I was on top of the world. I was optimistic yeah. that this team was going to yeah. do great things. Yeah. I in the very beginning after all that stuff, everyone's like World Series bound. We're we're taking it. I'm like, "Look." And I'll say this again. You must factor in the fact that they're the Padres. 
Like they could not. And they have Padres. They have Padres the season. This is how the Red Sox thought for what sixty something years. This is how Cubs fans felt for over a hundred years. Right. And we're going on just fifty one. I'm fifty two in November. Right. So there we are. You know. So next year I'm going to say the same thing. The division would be great. Wild card, maybe even the first wild card, depending on the moves, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But depending on the moves, a wild card is the best we can do. I you, you can't you can't set your tire, your sights that low. If you do, you're never disappointed. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, George Costanza. Oh man. <laughs> I don't even like Seinfeld, but that's the always if you have low expectations of things, you're all pleasantly always surprised. Oh man. That and people too. <laughs> well, so okay, so right before the game it was announced that Chris Paddock is going on the IL with some kind of elbow something or other. Inflammation. Inflammation, whatever Quote, that unquote. means. Uh, and then the day before, Blake Snell went out and threw 11 pitches and then took an awkward step. And he was like, nope, nope, I'm done, done and came walking right out. Apparently, he has a groin strain. Yep. I, so it's, I say just put a cap on the, on the season. Have everybody coast to the finish. Nobody else get hurt. Well, you, I, they're, they're coasting. They're, they're worse than coasting. They're just, they're like, eyes are over their, you know, the hands are over their eyes. They're just like, let go of the wheel. Falling off. Right. So tell Tatis you're not allowed to die for anything else. Yeah. You do, do not hit the ground yeah. with your left shoulder in any way. No. Um, and just tell everybody else to take it easy. Well, I think they're already doing it. I mean, it, it kind of sucks that you feel like the team has to just go through the motions for the next month. But that's kind of where we're at. Well, and that's kind of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It, it really is what they're doing. It's like, we don't have to tell them to do that. They're already doing that. I don't think that's what they've really been doing, though. I mean, well, they look like they're trying out there. And these guys have a lot of pride. I, I can't imagine that they're just going through the motions right now. Right. And I have enough, I have I have a problem with with people saying teams have quit or they're not playing for the manager or they're you know you know Tingler's lost the the, the clubhouse so they're just sucking. I don't think that's how sports work. I I, I mm-hmm. think sports work where you just get in a funk like you. It's like a depression. You know, like when personal, like in a personal depression, you, there's nothing you can do about it. You're just depressed. Right. And for those of the people that don't understand that, they're like, well, just just do better. Just be happier. Oh, my and God. And the people that are depressed are like, that's not how it works, bro. No. That's not. not and so I, I think the same thing in sports. Teams get in this funk. It's, it's, it's all, if they say hitting is contagious, so is losing. Losing is contagious, mm-hmm. much like syphilis. Oof. You remember the, remember the natural? The guy would come after at every game, losing, losing is contagious as typhoid, you know. And then Roy, come back here, and he walks away. I come here to play baseball, I'm not listen to that. Oh my gosh, Roy Hobbs, you're talking Roy about. Roy Hobbs from the Natural. Oh man, but, so yeah. so we're a couple of Debbie Downers right now. Yeah, well, and pretty much all the Padres fan base is a Debbie Downer yeah. right now. Yeah, and and the reckoning, and the reckoning. So what is that reckoning do you think it's going to look like? Okay, so I something's got to change in the coaching staff in some manner. I would like to see so there've been a couple of in-game decisions that have come back to bite the team in the in the butt okay. pretty bad. And I don't know if that means that you bring on an experienced bench coach that can bounce the ideas like, "Hey, make sure you do, you know, if you're going to make that change now, make sure that you do the double switch at the end of the inning, that kind of thing." Um I, I feel like there needs to be that kind of voice, something about the communication of the analytics to the players. I Something's got to be missing there because this extended slump for the whole team, nobody's hitting. They've been the worst offense in baseball for the whole last month. Yeah. Something is missing here. 
Because these guys are good. These there's yeah. a lot of talent on that roster. Tons of talent. So something is missing on on maybe the hitting coach isn't uh, doing the right things, saying the right things to get the guys in line. I don't know. I don't know if that's worth throwing Damian Easley under the bus. But people have pointed out that the some of the other teams out there have three or four quote-unquote hitting coaches on their coaching staff. Right. They've got a much larger coaching staff than the Padres do right now. Um, and then at the GM level, I, I for for several years, I felt like A.J. Preller, he's he's trying to do everything. He's trying to – he's the one-stop shop, the director of baseball operations, whatever his title right. is, where I feel like – And that's not uncommon. That's not uncommon it, in Major League Baseball. It's not, but there are also teams that have that role divided into a few different places. So I feel like he could use somebody that has some more kind of MLB-level experience, like a – so baseball operations, like a MLB operations GM, if you could like split that in. Before Kim Ng got hired by the Marlins, I right. thought she would be a great person to bring in right. to run the MLB operations side of things. He can still do his general manager thing, but then they can put their heads together and work on the major league transactions okay. where his focus is on player development and scouting and the stuff that that was what got him hired in the first place. Okay, so I... I- I, I agree this to some extent. I think too many coaches, depending on the roles and what voices they have in the ears of what players, that can muddle, even if you can be on the same page, that can be too much information to too many players all at once. If you're flooding, that's the reason why um, Rothschild was kicked out of out of, the, out of the New York was because it wasn't because he wasn't non-analytic. It was because they had a separate guy feeding all this information to the pitchers. When Rothschild right. just wanted the information to come to him and then give it to the players. Uh-huh. If you flood, if you flood me with information as as a doing anything, my job, my anything, I'm going to get overanalyzed. I mean, you know, even as a human being, even as a professional athlete, I think it can go too far. Sure. I also think, do you fire? You know, it, it's not it, it, the co- there's nothing you can say. I don't think there's nothing you can say other than support your players. To make them do any better, I, I, I seriously believe I tweeted that today. Ben and Woods, like, there's nothing. If if I had that power, if if any coach had that power, dude, baseball. We don't need you in baseball. We need you in Washington. We need you in the Middle East. Like, we have other things you can control and fix, other than you know, swinging on the back door, you know, the front door slider. Right. Um, I, I liked the point that you made in that tweet that you related it to your brothers. That you have two brothers right. that are living on the street. If I can get someone sober, I'd be down. I'd be. T- tapping people who wouldn't have any homeless. You know what I mean? It would right. be, um, I agree. There may need to be some kind of the reckoning as in, is it developmental? I, I, well, and I'll go back to my original thought was like, you have to have buy-in. We talked about it last, you know, last episode where the giants have this virtual reality thing. We don't know about that for the Padres, but those players have buy-in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me get better. You talked about it. These veteran players, Doing something different to make themselves better. Right. Look at how Joey Votto has changed his, dude, his approach. Beast. Yeah. And, and two years ago, you were like, damn, Votto, God, dude, he used to be so good. He used to be so good. Now he's almost an instant out. Mm-hmm. Now he's hitting bombs. He's doing really well. Yeah, he sold out for power a little bit, and he, but he recognized that my skill set is changing as I'm becoming an older person, an older player. So I need to change my game to suit what I, what I have to work with. Yeah. So then you see that quote from the Giants where they're like, yeah, hey, I'm open to trying different things and this is great. And that filters down from the veterans to the, everybody else on the roster. And then you see the quote from Hosmer like, no, I 
what I have works. Right. And if they right. don't like it, they can change my playing time. Right. How's that supposed to reflect to the, to everybody else? When right. you've got coaches saying, Hey, let's try different things. And you got a player going, nah, I don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. So then you need to buy in from the players. Like right. you can, you can change the, the names on the, on the coaches box. All you want. If the players aren't buying what you're selling, they can't do, you're not going to do anything. Right. And right now we hear from the players like, yeah, it's, no fun, you know. Mulemars, it's no fun. We can't have fun. We can't generate hits by being fun when we're sucking. Right. Like you have to play. You have to play better. You have to play better. You have to do better. And and whatever that spark is, I don't know if there's a spark. I don't. I, I don't kind of believe that a spark. You may hear it occasionally, like, well, you know, the walk off home run in this inning, we went on a tear. Sure. But is something like that going to happen? Like, I kind of hope something like that would happen. Right. I don't see it happening. But then at the same time, you've got pitchers getting hurt. Yeah. You're already short on your pitching staff. You're, you, Darvish, who's supposed to be like your one or one A ace. Now he goes out and has one of the worst appearances of his career. And he's had a couple of those this year where it's like, wow, that's the first time he's ever done that. Never got out of the first inning with, you know, two thirds of an inning, two outs or one out. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's got reached a new low. It's yeah. just burrowing down into right through the ground. So if I'm, if I'm an offensive player, it's like, well, what sense does it make for me to get hot right now? If our pitching staff is, is in tatters, I, I just, I don't, I don't see how there's a path that gets yeah. them to the playoffs this year. And even if they do, they're not going anywhere. So I, that's why I'm like, nope, shut it down. Just yeah. Call it right now. Put it on cruise control. Get to the end of the season, and let's start making some changes. So, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later because I got some, I got some fun ideas about Mackenzie Gore, and okay. it's a hot take. But we'll go. We'll Ooh. move on. A hot take. Okay. Okay. Hot take. But meanwhile, let's talk a little bit about minor league baseball. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Um, that's why we're here to talk about this. So Sam Dykstra from MILB wrote up um, who's the hotting pitching prospect for each organization, and who do you think it is for the Padres? Is it Matt Waldron, Danny Dens, maybe someone from San Antonio? No, it's Steven Wilson. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. A pure two-pitch reliever, Wilson has been as reliable as they come out of the bullpen at AAA El Paso lately. He hasn't issued a walk while fanning 11 in his last six relief appearances. If we push that sample back to his last eight games, he has a 2.13 ERA with 18 strikeouts and only three passes in his last 12 and two-thirds of innings. Wilson's 37.3% K rate is eighth best among AAA pitchers with at least 30 innings this season. Now, later on, we're going to have more Stephen Wilson that's going to back up even more of those numbers after this came out. Sure. Now, he's somebody that at the beginning of the season, actually going back to spring training last year, yeah. he was invited to Major League uh, major league Camp, and he did really darn well. Yeah. And so... Tore it up in the Mexican League in 2019 was like... Mm-hmm. I think I was saying on the podcast, like, oh, he's, gonna, he's definitely going to get a bullpen shot. Right. I think he got hurt. Well, it, he, he certainly was hurt at the beginning of the season. He hasn't been injured as far as like injured list. I mean, maybe he's gone on the IL for short right. stints, but there hasn't been anything seriously, you know, holding the guy back. Uh, but he's quietly put up a really good year. Yeah. So if this was a playoff hunt kind of a season, then maybe you'd see him coming up at the end to to, yeah. to give some help. Yeah. Because guys like <laughs> Dan Altavilla, they ain't going to get it done. I know, well, he's, I know he's injured, but still. He's it's out like, with Tommy John right now. Right, but I, you know, I didn't feel like very confident in that guy anyway. Yeah. No, among, among other people that no, are hurt. We're looking the, over on the horizon hoping for Trey Wingenter to come back and be side. Yeah, that's, where we're, that's right, where we're at. Right, right, right. <laughs> so let's continue with the pitching kind of theme of the of the batting lead. The, yeah, let's get to your hot right, take. <laughs> with the batting leadoff. 
Um, so McKenzie Gore had his first double A start. Yeah. Um, a pretty quick progression there. So and this is kind of go along with the lines of what I'm thinking. I was surprised that they called him up as quick as they did. Like he was with with Fort Wayne for what right. two appearances. Right. And I figured he'd either ride out the rest of the season there. I, I don't know, but then all of a sudden, oh hey, he's in San Antonio. Right. And that second start wasn't that great. No, it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't like, wow, okay, he's lights out, let's move it on. Uh-huh. Um, but once again, I think that has there's a lot more than the stat line that we see. Like, mm-hmm. is his pitches holding up? You know, is is the shape of the curveball, what's it look like? Like they this is kind of what we were going into, like we gotta see what he can do. And so we had a start in in double A. And I thought he did Pretty good, and we'll explain to the very end what happened. So in the first inning, dude, 96 out of the gate. And we listened to I, – I watched it, and I listened to the visiting team's broadcast. Right, they were in Round Rock? Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. No, double A. Yeah, you, I, I can't remember. Anyway. <laughs> I can't remember. I watched like five games at one time. Anyways, um, so first inning, 96, ground out, ground out, ground out. Mm-hmm. I thought they were swinging early. And they were making good contact. They were grounding out to the, you know, to the infielders. Um, holy cow, that's pretty good. Okay. You know, a couple times, you know, his first start in Fort Wayne was like, here we go again. So McKenzie's getting lit up. A bunch of weak contact. A bunch of weak contact. It was Frisco, the Frisco Rough Riders. That's it. Um, the second inning, strikeout. One out double. Fine. The guy okay. got it. He, you know, he, uh, he stayed back on an off-speed pitch and hit it down the line. Infield single. Well, it was a hard shot if... Ethan Skender could have got that ball. It would have been a really good play. It would have been like, Fuck, that's fuck, let's go. Uh huh. I think a major league player would have probably made that play, but he didn't. Okay. And threw wide. The guy scored. I saw that play. Okay. okay. Then yep. he goes over to second. I mean, it was a, a ball was cr- smacked. Was hit very hard. He did a heck of a job just to get at get to it. Just to get to it. And yeah. it was like, holy cow, that's a really good play. Uh huh. Strikeout out of the second inning into third inning. Soft ground out. Okay. Strikeout. Strikeout. Okay. You know, all the while. Not going, you know, not all the while, not throwing, you know, 48 pitches. So not going super deep into counts. Yeah, not super, not super deep into counts. Like, you know, oh, ball, okay, oh, a little wide, okay, come back in with some hard stuff or, or an off-speed stuff. Uh-huh. Now, I was talking to John Conniff, and he's like, that slider doesn't look good. I'm like, okay, I don't have that sharp of an eye. I'm like, I, I see him missing bats. That's all I see. Right. You and know, the, and the, the the double A. And the camera angles, sometimes it's hard to tell, you know, what the plane of the, the breaking pitches are or whatever. Right. So fourth inning, base on balls. The announcers go, yeah, he's touched, he's uh, fastball's 94, he's touched 97, sitting mid-90s. Yeah, sometimes that's something that you'll see, like, you'll see it up on the scoreboard somewhere, yeah. but it isn't necessarily yeah. on the little score bug right. on the broadcast. Some of minor league teams do, some minor league teams don't. Right. Uh, Frisco does not, but they were, you know, they were good, but they were just, like, they were really praising him. They were like, wow, this is, we were kind of, we maybe could have seen two different kinds of McKenzie Gore. It could have been the old McKenzie Gore who lost command. Mm-hmm. This is the McKenzie Gore that we've seen in the past who does really well. Okay. So fourth inning, base on balls. He's hitting, you know, hitting 97, mid-90s, fifth strikeout, base on balls, double play. All right. Bam, out of the inning. Once, okay, so in fourth inning, you're getting towards the end of, you're getting towards the end of the hold, the first lineup, you know, the first run through the lineup. Pitches are starting to get a little high. He's getting into his 60s and mid-70s, in mid seventies range, yeah, he's he's work he's working through the second he's working through the lineup a second time at yeah. this point. So he goes into the fifth inning, he gets a ground out, but this guy kept fucking fouling off pitches. It was like twelve, it was like twelve pitch at bat, uh huh, fouling off pitches, fouling off pitches, which which is fine, you know, you know, but I think it really ate into his. He could have went a little bit further, but that really ate into his pitch count with the twelve pitches with sure. one guy. So ground out, next two guys, K K, eighty one pitches. He's been throwing to eighty five pitches. 
since he's got to affiliate a ball. Okay. Even his first start in Fort Wayne. So that tells me he's been pitching, and we've talked about this a little bit, how much he's been pitching without, you know, back at the complex. Must be somewhere in that range, in the 60, 70, mid-80 range consistently. Okay. Or at least worked up to like, okay, when you get out there, we're going to give you 85. He did 94 in his first start of the season. And then after that, he uh, he didn't, he was kept at a lower pitch count after right. that. So that tells me that they've been keeping him at least stretched out that far well before he got into rookie ball in the complex. Right. When they were just kind of just tweaking the delivery. Mm-hmm. So come come in the sixth inning, you know, you think fifth inning, even even Madfriars tweeted like, all right, that's there it is. It's probably gonna be it. And it's a good note. It's like when you hit a ball sure. hard at batting practice, you're like, uh-huh. all right, I'll end on that. That's a good note. Okay. <laughs> it's a good note. He comes out, walks the bases loaded. Yeah. So what do you think there? So you think, well, he needs to go into the sixth inning, right? Like, eh, take it easy. Take it easy. Well, so it makes me wonder why they left him in to walk the third guy. Right. You know, if, if it was apparent that his command was dropping off, because you know, those are the things they look for. Is the location, is he starting to miss his spots? Is the velocity starting to drop? Does the, the stuff not have the same break to it? And so you watch with some of these, at least at the major league level, yeah. there's a couple of slow pitches and boom, they're out there to, to pull the guy. Yeah. He, for, for this, for, for those that were, I think there were pretty, pretty like four pitches, four pitches, four pitches. He wasn't missing by much. Okay. But he was missing like, okay, oh, okay, oof. All right, you know, it, it, he was so by the second batter. You're like, so they he, left him in there to hang himself a, 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 little, a little bit, but I don't think this, you know, it's Philip Wellman, so he knows what the hell he's doing, and I'm sure he's got an organizational direction about what to do. So I, I say take away that sixth inning and call that a solid, solid outing. Okay, so what was your uh, hot take on, so, on all of this? So, you know, with, with the what happened to Chris Paddock. And, you know, you've already saw the tweet, like, he already feels better. You know, he's not going to have Tommy John. Right. That he might just miss one start, or he might just make his next start. Well, they're saying the same thing about Blake Snell. That, oh, he's got some soreness, right. but hopefully... So now you got two guys down. Uh-huh. And you're going to bring up Taylor Williams? Uh, Taylor, no, Taylor Williams was released. Right. Who, who, the guy just brought up another Williams. So, not our Sam Williams. Mm. Who did they... They just brought him up because Paddock went down. The Padres? Yeah. Ah, uh, now... Might have to... Ding, now I got to look this up. Sean Anderson. Yeah, right. Who's that guy? They claimed him from the Orioles. They claimed him on okay. waivers from the Orioles. Right. Um, he's been a starting pitcher. They've used him as a reliever in a couple of appearances okay. that he's made with the Padres. Okay, so and I think he was working as a reliever in El Paso. Okay, so he's going to probably start a game. Maybe it's a bullpen game. Ugh. I don't think it's my... Well, it's... I wouldn't be surprised if the Padres did bring up Mackenzie Gore after this Friday. You think so? Maybe even this Friday, depending on how the rest of this week looks. They might. I wouldn't. I would. I wouldn't be surprised. At the very least, give him one more start in Double A. Okay. Well, and now, if the Friday, if Friday or Saturday started, so he pitched on Sunday. If he pitches again on Friday or Saturday, I I would think that they could bring him up for the last week, maybe two starts. Okay. Maybe one start. Well, as as the timing just happens to have it, Angela and I are flying to, to St. Louis tomorrow for okay. a convention. Okay. And the Padres are playing this weekend. We are definitely going to the game on Sunday. We might go to the game on Saturday as well. Uh, if Mr. Gore happens to be called up, I will make sure. I will do everything in my power to be at that game. Now, everyone I think listening to this podcast is like, you're stupid. That's, yeah, that's dumb. It's, it's nuts. stupid. I, I but see I no don't reason for put it. it 
But think about last year. Think about what happened last year. They brought up Luis Camposano, Jorge Ona. They brought up Ryan Weathers in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? To a guy who was, yeah, sure, it's a, so it's a reward. Yeah, but they were trying to, they were trying to win games. Right, right. Are they, if they lose any more games, is there even a point of trying to win games for the rest of the season? Well, are we going to coast and maybe see what we got in McKenzie Gore? Just to, hey, it's not going to be so bad next year when you come up or win the fifth spot in the rotation. I don't know. Okay, I, I'm just, it's possible. I'm probably, you know, it's this just, Filler, content filler, but it's something to bite on, and I would not be surprised. We'll have to come up with a bet or something. If if Mackenzie Gore gets called up by the end of the season, I owe you a burrito or something like that. Right. How about a salad, dude? I need to mix in a, I need to push away from the burritos and mix in a salad. But okay. that's my that's my wild take. And it's it's I don't think they should, but just because they shouldn't doesn't mean they won't. So like you see it in the tea leaves, right? You're throwing right. the tarot cards out there right. and. <laughs> And then, you know, if he gets lit up, you brought him up too soon. Well, not necessarily. You just, you want to get his feet wet. You want to get him major league innings before next year when it really kind of counts. You know what I mean? Please, uh, Cleverage is going to be on. We have, who's our starters next year? Darvish, Paddock, Snell. Musgrove. Musgrove. Yeah. And then what? Lamette and Clevenger. They're Lamette, not going to be ramped up. Bullpen. Guarantee he'll be a bullpen guy. Yeah. And then Clevenger will be on pitch count. Yep. And they'll probably push out that start. Maybe five. Maybe he's the fifth starter, McKenzie, or maybe Mackenzie Gore is the fifth starter, and they put moving Clevenger. Uh, or maybe it's a tandem. That's way too far out. I I want to see him go out and get at least one more MLB starting pitcher by yeah. then. We wanted that at the trade deadline. And I wanted that in spring training. Hudson. <laughs> I still thought that we needed at least one more yeah. major league starting pitcher, even if it's like a swingman type, and then grab a bunch of 4A guys and stash them in AAA just in case somebody pops up. Yeah. And you've got somebody who maybe has a couple of, I'm thinking like like Paul Clemens level right. types. Right. You know, like right. that. At least somebody that you can rely on rather than, I mean, no knock on Reese Kinnear. Nope. But having to call that guy up and ask him to make a few starts, I and mean, he was in way over his head. Yeah. And it was apparent from yeah. day one. Absolutely. And you can't bring up Camarena. Because that's, that's coasting. <laughs> that's just like, all right, we're packing it in. Yeah, and we love Slime Moreno, but it, it, it is what it is. And he has been not doing well lately in right. AAA. And, and that's fine. It's the end of the season. A lot of these guys probably have pitched up. You know, it's just the end of the season. Um, but let's move on. Yeah, that's my so, hot take. So speaking of minor leaguers that are not going to get called up this year. Yeah, we're going to talk about Bobby Barrels. Bobby Barrels. So Jeff Sander from the UT wrote up an interview with Robert Hassel the third. Um the Padres drafted Robert Hassel third in the eighth overall pick last summer. They lured him away from a commitment to the powerhouse Vanderbilt. Dude, can you imagine that kid in Vanderbilt? Oof. He'd have been crushing it uh, with a $4.3 million signing bonus. That sort of things tend to push prospects onto the so-called fast track. But Hassel's view in right field at Petco Park about a week after joining the big league club in the COVID camp last July was beyond even his wildest dreams. The Padres' $300 million third baseman was steps away from him in the early machinations of the Manny shift. Eric Cosmer was at first base, and Fernando Tatis was at shortstop. So you're talking about when the when the camp was going on yeah. last year. Yeah, we were all sitting in the outfield watching the games. Right. How many of those did you make? I made several. I, I didn't get to any of yeah, them. We, we yeah, we made several. I watched the ones that were on TV, and that was about it. Yeah, yeah. I think it started. Uh, I think I started to build a little confidence off those really – the really, really tough arms and some of the big league arms even. Hassel said, it's frustrating sometimes when I miss my pitches or have a bad game down here because it's like, man, I've gotten hits off guys up there before. It kind of puts it in perspective of where I'm at and how good the pitches are that I'm facing. 
because I've seen some top arms and got in on the action a little bit in spring training. It helped a lot seeing those guys for sure. One lingering question uh, was whether he'd hit for power. He answered that emphatically with a three-run homer game in his third game with the Tin Caps, continuing August power surge that saw him at three homers that month with a storm after not managing any in July. Hassel, however, managed 10 doubles in July and walked more times than he struck out. Well, uh, pushing his batting average and on-base percentage to 368 and 448, respectively. That's always a good sign when the guy's yeah. walking more than he's striking yeah. out. That's the stuff that like Josh Naylor and Luis Rios were doing. Yeah, especially super young. Luis Urias was doing that super young. Um, those underlying numbers were reason enough to believe that homers would come even as, he, even as he put an emphasis on turning on pitches in order to generate more long balls. I wasn't pulling as many balls, so when I did run into one and, and it went out, it was most likely going to be the opposite field, Hassel said. When I started working on pulling the ball more in a different uh, and different ways to do that with my mechanics, I worked on that and gotten some pull side bombs. I wasn't worried about it. I've hit homers all my life. <laughs> I hit bombs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Big Al and I hit bombs. <laughs> <laughs> because it's gone as well as it has, he would bound. Uh, he would bound to. He was bound to wind up in trade rumors. At least that's the way he chose to look at. His name surfacing in the Hosmer Joey Gallo talks in July. I must be doing something right. Yep. I love that. Well, it, that's going to be a hard thing for, I mean, he's a teenager. He's, what, 19 still, I think. Yeah. 20. Just turned 20 this year. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it trade talks and you hear all the stuff going on and you're you live, you're in Lake Elsinore at the time. Yeah. I know, that's that's got to be just such a, such a, a mind bleep it is but i think this kid really and you know some of the interview that we read about it last week was like he knows he's working he's he knows he's developing he knows he's probably going to be a pretty darn good big leaguer mm -hmm. once he once he develops fully mm -hmm. um you know he talked about developing last year i'm just here to develop my tools okay and you know that you don't hear that from guys that you know they may have the confidence but you don't hear guys like yeah i'm, I'm gonna developing uh -huh. you know like yeah i'm just trying to go out there and hit the ball hard you know just just a regular ball Ball, you know, ball player talk. It's a different perspective. Definitely a different perspective. Well, and I'd, I'd like hearing that he he controls the things that he can control. Right. He doesn't worry about the things that are outside of his control, which Absolutely. is so hard to do. Yeah, it is, particularly at a young age. So that that quiet confidence, like he's fun to watch. And I, I stop what I'm doing and watch his at bats. Yeah, because they're fun to watch. And I watch pitchers. They 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 pitch around him. They pitch around him more than not. And 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 when they when they don't, he swings the good pitches. Well, because they've got a couple guys that they've never heard of behind him in yeah. Uribe, Angeles, and yeah. Brandon Valenzuela. Absolutely. And, oh, I'll pitch around this guy and get to them. And then what do they do? They they lace a double into the yeah. gap. Absolutely. Okay, so one thing that's been a recurring theme for us ever since we started this podcast is the plight of the minor league player and what you know, what makes things difficult for them, um, the inequalities of pay and, and all of that. Um, and this year, it seems like the focus on the housing situations has, has been a, a common thing. Huge. We've seen it on social media, uh, advocates for minor leaguers um, and adopt an MILB player they've they've been sharing reports of oh hey these guys are in this place and they're sleeping in the bus or they they're sleeping in a church somewhere because they've got nowhere to stay absolutely so there have been some really interesting articles that came out in well in and, and, and i like the fact that this is more than just advocates from minor leaguers more than you know mike from adopt a minor league player this stuff is getting to jj cooper this stuff is getting to Brittany garoli mm -hmm. like it's starting to get to the larger publications the more visible uh, voices in in the national media 
And hopefully this is the beginning of a groundswell that will at least at least might someone in the major league organization will go have a comment. Well, hopefully there have been some minor changes already. So hopefully this is the beginning of a sea of change. Yeah. So this article from The Athletic written by Brittany Garoli, Brittany Garoli is titled Cockroaches, Car Camping, Poverty Wages, Why Are Minor Leaguers Living in Squalor? And what stood out to me is that this you've got stories from current players. In the past, this was always a taboo subject. Guys would not talk on the record. Yep. She allowed people to speak off the record and then people allowed her to use her name. Where in the past, I remember when Eric Sim opened up his books for, I think it was Eno Saris. That was the first time I saw a, a actual player telling stories. Look, this is how I, this is what I had to do. This is my paycheck. These are my expenses, laying it all out. So, um, I'm going to read some of the an excerpt from this from the story. Okay, so with rare exceptions, minor league players who are paid only seasonally are responsible for procuring and paying for temporary housing in a five month season. This often means signing last minute leases, packing double and triple capacity into apartments and hotel rooms, or scouring Airbnbs, knowing they could at any moment move up or down a level to another city where the process starts all over again. Players get assigned a team, often at the very end of spring training, and get three nights in a hotel paid for by the team to travel there and figure out where to live. Quote, finding a place to put your head at night is the hardest, most stressful thing to do as a minor leaguer, said catcher Caleb Joseph, who signed with the Mariners organization in May after he was released by the Mets. Joseph, who spent his first six seasons in the Orioles system, said he did not see a comma in his biweekly paycheck until he got to the big leagues in 2014. One year in the minors, tired of spending 80% of his income on last minute housing, he lived in the team's clubhouse. Said Joseph, why are we putting guys in a position where they, where they can afford either food or a bed? Like they have to make that decision. Right. Right. Which is, it's mind-boggling. Okay, so the Athletics spoke to more than 30 players from 20 major league organizations ranging from undrafted free agents to first-round picks with big league experience about their housing travails past and present. Three players who have retired within the past three months also spoke to the Athletic. All current players were offered anonymity as a means to speak freely, though some gave permission to use their names. Quote, minor league players need to be looked at as investments, not pawns, said AAA Rochester's Brandon Snyder, a former first round pick who's played for six organizations in 16 seasons. Uh, quote, the only problem, the problem is the only way housing changes is if organizations become accountable for it, said Angels minor leaguer Kieran Lovegrove, who made headlines two weeks ago in calling out order owner Artie Moreno, yeah. quote, it's not about me, it's about a few thousand other people who live, who have to live this way and the people coming into the sport. That's what I really care about. Having baseball care about how we treat players with respect to housing and mental health. Well, and, and the thing is, and we say this over and over again, it's not that much. It's not, it could be less than 1% of, of an organization's budget. Right. For all four levels. Right. For all four levels. And then, right. shoot, why don't throw a little bit more of a stipend to the guys that are in the complex? Mm-hmm. Um, what's going to happen is, uh, you know, and I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet that one of these guys live, you know, four of these guys live in uh, some rundown apartment complex in some shady part of some minor league town and someone either gets stabbed, shot, or there's some kind of altercation where they were put in a environment that was dangerous and someone either got seriously hurt or killed. Well, those things have happened. You know, I, I I'm sure they have. I haven't haven't read about them for a long time. It but gets swept under the under the rug. Yeah, absolutely. it's just some other minor leaguer that never made it. That's that's all it winds up becoming. Um, and that last line of that quote about mental health, uh, we haven't talked about the story of Drew Robert Drew Robinson. Nope. Uh, there was an ESPN thirty for thirty, I think it was about him, and so he was a top prospect in I believe it was the Giants. Giants system. organization, absolutely. And he was. 
with anxiety and depression and he attempted suicide, he put a bullet in his head and survived. And the whole story about all of that, about his survival, and now he's actually playing professional baseball again. It's an amazing story. Well, he has played. He, he came back. He was playing AAA. Technically, is blind in one eye. No, he, he, is, he does not have one eye. Right. He hit a home run and it was like the first time that's ever been done. Yeah. He is now... I don't think he's with the Giants anymore. I believe he's with another organization where he is their mental health advocate. No, he came up with the Rangers. That's what it was. Was and the that, Rangers? Yeah, and then he was with the Giants. But anyway, um, but the, the mental health side yeah. of it, that there really isn't a whole lot of support for minor leaguers on that side. I mean, yeah, you've got your coaching staff that you can talk to, but yeah. you know, there's like at, at, at most corporations that you work for, they've got some sort of employee assistance program where you have access to counseling that is covered by their insurance and yeah. stuff. I don't know. Oh, insurance. Yeah. Oh, for minor leaguers? Right. What, are you high? Yeah. No way. No, they'll help you if you if you rip your ankle. Right. But they won't help you if you rip your soul. Right. <laughs> it's just the sport's going to chew you up and spit you out. Which kind of goes back to the whole thing of like, and and just on the major league level, like it, it it's an emotional thing. Mm-hmm. It, baseball, is an, sports are an emotional thing. And confidence has everything to do with mental health. For sure. Lack of confidence has another thing full of lack of mental health. Um, and doing, you're right though. Like I got, I, I have, I, where I worked when I got sober, I went there and it's like, I have this problem. Help me. Okay, let's do that. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, the, the major league, and this is how I think the major league team see it. It's like, I don't have time for you to feel bad for yourself, kid. I need to go hit. Right. I, we're we're going to leave tomorrow. You know, we're, we're driving out tonight mm-hmm. for so-and-so city. Yep. And, Read a book on the bus. Yeah, I got. You got five hours to read a book. I got thirty other kids here that have their own issues. You know, go get in line. Um, the couple of organizations have those, and I know the Padres have one for the for the major league level. They have a mental health coach or person. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know. You know, is it kind of how often they're used? How it's viewed in the clubhouse, or even in the not in the organization, but how is it viewed in the clubhouse? Like, yeah, I need to go talk to. Um, there's a famous one we've talked about a little bit. I think she's in the Phillies organization. She's there. She tweets a lot of mental health stuff every day. Okay. Um, I wonder how that's viewed in the clubhouse. Like, shit's going sideways for me. I don't not baseball. My life's going sideways. I wonder how I couldn't reach out to you because I, you know, hey, man, I, I don't want to seem. Slight. I don't want to seem less than a man because right. you know sports is all about being masculine so and like macho, suck it up, kid. Yep. Um, if we're gonna let the kids play, we need to let the kids also be kids. Yeah. You know the the emotional side. You're very right. The, the emotional side of the game, and it does. It starts from the support in the minor leagues, and mm-hmm. we're not talking. It, it's such a small amount of money. It is such a small amount of money that can be set aside, and it can be mandated by Major League Baseball. If Major League Baseball can add on another. Three game series from playoffs, so everyone can make more money. Yeah, why can't you sh- shovel a little bit of that towards that? They can spend whatever five million dollars building a ballpark in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa for one game. Right, that was incredibly lame. I, everyone loved it. I thought it was stupid. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to keep on going. So, uh, so Baseball America, JJ Cooper came out with an article this week, uh, and it was titled "It's Time for MLB to Handle Minor League Player Housing." Um, and so I, I, 
It's a great article. It's a very large article, so yeah. I definitely recommend reading it. Uh, but again, I pulled an excerpt here. So, oh, go ahead. Well, okay. Go ahead. So the idea of not paying for minor league players for spring training or extended spring training, it's a pretty illogical idea. So this is all he had already laid out. Like He begins by talking about the the, the path the that a minor league player has to go. And just like a, a theoretical example of somebody, he gets sent to Bowling Green. He's there for a while, and then they decide to call him up to AAA. Well, now he's got a lease on this apartment in Bowling Green. What's he going to do with that? And now he has to find a place in in AAA, and then he gets sent. So it's it's an interesting little story, just kind of demonstrate. Right. Well, that that and you can go from one like Renton Bowling Green is probably pretty cheap, but if you go to their AAA affiliate, it's a larger city with a larger metropolitan area, probably larger rent. You know, I'm going to get to that later. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Um, so back to the, so MLD team officials describe spring training and extended spring training as quote non-mandatory practice sessions in a class action lawsuit. It's pretty easy to imagine what the response would be if a player who found out he was being sent to extended spring told the team he was headed home instead, but that he, that he would be ready to go as soon as the spot in full season ball opened up. So the reason he brings this up is that players aren't paid for spring training or extended spring training. They aren't paid for fall instructs, but then they're expected to be there. Um, it was a common practice for so many years that MLB teams were able to save a few bucks. No one seemed to know any better. The same can be said for in-season housing. It's illogical that minor league players are responsible for their own housing when they have no control over, their, over where they will be sent to play, and that assignment can change from week to week. In the real world, most employers understand that if an employee has to travel from state to state without notice on your orders, then housing will be provided. You get a housing per diem. I mean, I, I lived out of a suitcase for three years working as a field service engineer. And so it was a housing per diem that they paid enough for a decent hotel room. Okay. And if I could save on that by getting a long-term thing, then, then that was on me. Okay. So, um, things could, things could get easier now that MLB controls the minor leagues. Among MLB's provisions with minor league teams is a requirement for those teams to, quote, make available reasonably priced apartments or hotel rooms. But reasonably priced has a broad definition. And six-month apartment leases don't mesh with a job that has a five-month time frame and may require moving on a moment's notice. What was the tweet? We, we didn't even talk about it. It was the, uh, the owner of the South Bend Cubs. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm... I really appreciate you guys sticking with us because this is incredibly important. But he's like, I am the owner of this well, whatever so, Alexa. Somebody brought it up, pointed out that the South Bend Cubs, the players are staying in the hotel right across the street that was allegedly owned by the same guy that was he's the, a minor minority owner of the Cubs. Was it was or that was it was a hotel or was it like an apartment complex? It's a hotel. Okay. Maybe it's an apartment complex, but whatever it is. Right. And so uh, uh, supposedly the, the coaches are allowed to stay there for free, but he's paying, he's charging full boat to the players. And then tweets out. And the owner steps in. Yeah. Like, yeah, I own the hotel and I own the, the Iowa Cubs. And everyone, and he did that in capitals, everyone pays rent. Right. Way to stick it to your coach's owner. Oh, my owner. gosh. Oh. God. So, right. So, so just, well, that just demonstrates a disconnect. It demonstrates the disconnect from the owner to even to his minority players. Yeah. You'd think that there's some sympathy, some understanding there. Right. Okay, so continuing with the article. MLB raised minor leaguers' pay in 2021, but for many players, the hurdle of affordable in-season housing remains an even bigger issue than compensation. The Astros began providing housing for its minor league players in the 2021 season. Some other teams have followed up by providing housing stipends, which is a step in the right direction. 
Uh, but the logical answer is for MLB teams across the board to contract for housing and provide it for the players. While individual players come and go their new with their new 10-year professional development licenses, MLB teams know where they will need housing every April to September for years to come. And an MLB team valued at a billion dollars or more looking for housing for 30 players plus another five or more coaches has negotiating leverage that far exceeds that of any individual player making $500 a week. MLB has made strides in improving minor league player pay, and in some cases, teams have improved player nutrition. But now that MLB has taken over the minors, it makes sense for MLB teams to take on the responsibility of handling housing as well. So going back to my job as a field service engineer, uh, I was a team lead for a while. And so I knew that we're going to get sent to LA. We're going to be there for at least three months working at this site. So I would call ahead to an extended stay or a Homewood Suites or something like that. And I'd say, hey, look, I've got eight guys. We're going to be there for a minimum of 90 days. What can you do for us? And then we would be able to work a deal. They right. would give us a break because we have so many guys for staying for so right. long. Guaranteed revenue. Guaranteed yeah. money coming in. But this was a team of grown adults with the time to prepare and all of this. Right. Not a bunch of 20-year-old kids who know nothing about how to arrange how do I call a hotel? How do I look up an Airbnb? If I right. if I sign a six-month lease on an apartment, now I need to go buy a bed and figure out... Right. And let's be honest and I'll even just say this. Kids that have probably been treated like princes their whole High school and college career. Yep, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's even that's fine. I, I work at a co- I work at a college, and even the smart kids don't even know how to use a dang credit card machine. Like put it right in there, dude. <laughs> put it right there. How does it work? You stick in where the chip. You, you know what I mean? So absolutely. Yeah. And so now, yes, a lot of players come, they, they come from a family where they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth and they've never had to worry. They signed some big bonus. They've got rich mommy and daddy. They can help pay for them. That's, or, or even the ones that don't. But it, the ones that don't are the ones that have to leave the game because right. they have no, they can't cover right. the books. Right. And, but even uh, see, even those that aren't the high dollar draft, you know, the draft bonus bo- bonus babies, have still been treated pretty well. And so they may not know how to do that. And they're coming to this strange city like that. I don't know where to get an apartment. Where do you get an apartment? Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. So then you've got guys like Terrence Tucker up in Lake Elsinore who's busting his butt just to help his guys find a place to stay. Yeah. And he's got enough on his plate. Yeah. So there should be That's somebody, not his job description. Right. So there should be somebody either at the MLB level or in the front office of the minor league team that's making those those arrangements. So right. in Fort Wayne, I don't know what the exact arrangement is, but there's an apartment complex that's across the street from the ballpark and they have quads. So it's four bedrooms and then a shared kitchen and living room space. And so they've got some kind of a deal with there. And I think the players pay like 250 bucks a month for rent to stay in that place. So they're splitting, they're Which, splitting the place. So they probably have the team has some sort of deal right. with the place, and then if somebody leaves, the person who comes in takes that spot, and that that makes sense. It's like a dormitory kind of a thing. Right. But even still, the guys aren't being paid all that well. It only makes sense to cover their housing and just have the major league team don't one less thing for you to worry about. Yeah, and and there's thirty, you need thirty apartments. Yeah, the, a major league team should have that complex. Right across the street, or within five miles, mm-hmm. depending you know, depending on where it is, of the ballpark where that's there that they had that built, or they bought that unit, and they don't have to lease it from someone else. It's owned by the major league organization. Now, when ten, like you said, ten years, you have ten years now into an agreement. Fine, end of the ten years. Okay, so when my team, when the Padres go from Fort Wayne to wherever, you have this affiliate. And that is 
and there's your apartment complex. Yeah. Sure, find maybe varying degrees of quality. Like this is built 10 years ago. This is built 40 years ago, whatever. But you have that housing. It's there. And your guys are safe. Mm-hmm. And then they don't have to spend money. Like, God, it's just, it's ridiculous. Because yeah, well, the major leaguers still get, how much? I think they get like 100 bucks a day per diem. Okay. Like somebody. Yeah, for, for meals, yeah. Somebody walks around the clubhouse and hands out cash. Uh-huh. A guy I worked with here at UCSD. All right, my work. So let me tell you where I work. Whatever. His buddy <laughs> did that job. And okay. he did it back when Vladimir Guerrero was in the clubhouse. And Vlad was every time, he's like, boom, he took the cash. Uh-huh. Those guys already make stupid money. And they're giving 100 bucks to go eat. Yeah. Take that 100 bucks away from every player. They could do that. Give it to the minor leaguers. But you know what I mean? It's just ridiculous how once you make it to the show, but that's the dream, right? That's They're chasing the dream. Oh, so they're geez. punished. So the, the cream rises to the top. Even if you're fucking Dirt poor. Okay, Macho Man Randy Savage. The right. will rise right to the top. To the top. <laughs> I don't even know. How to, but you, exactly. So go on. Okay, so it's gonna be a very, very long episode. Okay, so um, on Fangraphs, they have a, a community page where where anybody can have an article published. Uh, and so then there was one that came out. I think it was today called "A Regional View of the MILB Housing Crisis" uh, by a gentleman named Just, Justin Stofferhan. Uh, and what he did was he was taking a look at how much money players get paid at each level and then what the housing costs, according to uh, the Department of Housing, housing and Urban Development, yep. um, to see what teams were like the most disadvantaged as far as that. You know, he was using the term cost burdened. Um, and so he said that this data helps reveal, despite the common portrayal of the minor leagues as rooted in sleepy and thus inexpensive small, small Midwestern towns, many teams are located in expensive markets like San Jose and Brooklyn. Of the 2,600 markets in the HUD area, about seven of them, seven percent of them have medium rents for one-bedroom apartments above $1,000. Of the 120 minor league teams, 54 of them are in markets where the median rent is over $1,000. Strikingly, the level of play with with the highest rents are the low A markets, where players not only earn the least, but also 19 of the 30 teams are in markets that leave players earning the minimum salary severely cost burdened. Um. And then he goes on to talk about a bunch of, he shows a bunch of data and it's interesting. It's a very long article, uh, but it's an interesting read. But then he, he talks about what happens in other sports. Yeah. So he says, it's what the NBA's G League does. As players have a union, a minimum monthly salary of $7,000, 35000 annually, and housing is paid for. It's also what the AHL does. As players in the NHL's AAA equivalent have a union and a minimum salary of $51,000. In fact, it's also what the minor leagues used to do. A 1956 study in the Journal of political economy used information from congressional hearings to calculate the median monthly salaries of baseball prospects in 1950. Updating these numbers for inflation reveals monthly salaries of $3,000 to $8,000 in 2020 dollars. While this alone would not eliminate the problem of players being left burdened by the local rental costs of today, particularly at the single A levels, it does significantly ameliorate the issue. So, I mean, the two points is that they're not being paid enough. Inflation hasn't, the, the salaries haven't risen along with inflation, but Covering the housing just yeah, it just makes too much sense. And how I don't follow NBA and I don't follow hockey, but I mean, paying a little attention to the goals. You oh, that guy got called up. Yeah, the goals are AAA, I believe. Yeah, for AAA, you know, uh, hockey like those guys get called up. And NBA only has one minor league air quotes level. Right, and how often do you go? Like he just got called up from the G League. How many of those guys you ever see? Not a lot of them. Not I've never ever heard about it. No, but those guys are getting paid. Thirty-five grand right. to right. to play five months, and their housing is covered. Yeah, the uh, the practice squad for the NFL team. Those guys get paid well. I think they have five thousand a month. 
Yeah. I, 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 I don't know what it is, but I know that they're paid pretty darn well. Yeah. And how often, and once again, I don't really follow football again, and please, football people, tweet me out this, but <laughs> I don't see too many of those guys getting called from the practice squad. No. No, not very often. You know, it's not like minor leagues like where it. those guys come up all year. Right. All the time. Mm-hmm. And they spend years doing it. They spend, you know, they're under contract for seven years. And then, I mean, so the one guy was a minor leaguer for 16 years. Yeah. You know, okay, yeah, you're chasing a dream. But at some point, you're busting your butt. You're working 60 hours a week. You're traveling all the time. You're away from your family. Yep. So, yeah, chasing a dream has some value to it. But you can't, you, you have to at least pay the guys enough so that they can afford to stick with that dream versus having to make the decision of do I pay rent or do I put food on my plate? Yeah. I, it's, that, that's, that's not how you develop professional, world-class professional athletes. No, it's not. And it has to stop. And so hopefully with, with these articles, with J.J. Cooper, you know, Baseball America putting that out there, with Brett Garoli putting that out there. And Emily, we had Emily on, what, three years ago? Mm-hmm. Like first year on our podcast? Yeah. And it was, oh. Oh my God! You know she no longer works for the athletic. That, I don't think because of that no, reason. It's not because of that, no. right? They, they I, I know, but it's like like it was a hush, hush. And, and I remember when she talked about when she's in spring training. Guys were going up to her like, "You're, you, you're Emily. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you." Guys were like, she kept telling me that was when we were both in spring training. She's like, mm-hmm. guys keep coming up to me and saying thank you. I, I can't believe they know who I am. Yeah, advocating. Like, yeah, you're advocate. You're an advocate. So it's just it's beyond ridiculous, guys. And we have gone now into 50 minutes right. without even touching the affiliate rundown. Well, it's time for the affiliate rundown. Should we do the affiliate rundown or should we? <laughs> no, let's let's run through it. <laughs> well, if, hey, we really if, appreciate if you guys. If our listeners want to stick with us, then we are grateful for not, it. Right? We don't do this for you know, it's funny. I just someone's like, You got a podcast? I'm like, Yeah. She's like, Do you get paid for that? I'm like, No, I cost me money. <laughs> it cost me. I paid to do this. Yeah. And we love doing it. It is. So let's get it on. Okay. So starting off with the uh, is that another wrestling the move? AZL. The a- <laughs> that's what uh, that's what the Let's get it on. Yeah, that referee used to say. Judge Mills Lane. Oh my god. Oh my god. Celebrity death match. Okay, so strike one. On Wednesday, this is the ACL, the Arizona Complex League. Uh, on Wednesday, Edwin Rojas supplied a multi-hit night, including his fifth double. After enjoying a standout campaign in the Dominican Summer League in 2019, the 19-year-old Venezuelan hasn't enjoyed the same success stateside, posting an OPS of just 6'11 thus far in Arizona. After a shoulder, after shoulder issue kept him out of action for a month, Justin Lang returned to the mound and worked one inning. In a microcosm of his season, the hard-throwing right-hander from Lano, Texas, walked a batter, struck out a batter, and uncorked two wild pitches. <laughs> So it's just it's a thumbnail of a season. Yeah, there's kind of a wild thing aspect to that. I kind of like that. But also, we haven't even talked about the Dominican Summer League guys. Yeah, and on Twitter, those pictures from that building that I believe is the Standing Padres, uh, you know, Dominican Academy looks sweet. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how well those guys are fed, and I'm not sure how much they're even paid. Yeah, that's it, kind of a secret. Yeah. I mean, who who goes there to watch? Who yeah. goes and talks to the players to find out? But you know those guys are just stoked. Because I follow a lot of those guys on Twitter, and they're stoked to be wearing like old, old jerseys. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're wearing the brown now, but they're like the a couple years yeah. back, and it was like they were just stoked to have the you know the 1996 wave or like the, the that same. shampoo logo, oh, shampoo oh bottle my logo. God. <laughs> Okay, so Ryan Bergert continued the stellar start to his career, uh, relieving Lang and tossing a pair of scoreless innings. The Canton, Ohio native has eight strikeouts across seven innings in the desert and has allowed just two runners. Strike two Thursday was a masterful pitching performance in the desert as three Padre pitchers combined to throw a seven-inning shutout. 
not walking a single Royals batter and striking out 14 of them. Holy smokes. Yeah, the game was started by Victor Lizarraga, the 17-year-old righty who was born in San Diego and raised in Mexico. Lizarraga bound, uh, bounced back from a five-walk performance on September 3rd with tonight's jam, lowering his ERA to 5.67 in 27 innings while striking out 29 and walking 14. His stat line was rep- replicated by Garrett Hawkins, who also struck out six batters in the three innings while walking none. Hawkins, a 21-year-old righty from Sask- Saskatoon, Canada, was drafted in the ninth round of, a sum- of this summer's draft. Shout out to Saskatchewan. Sask- that's not Saskatchewan. It's, it's, it's in the province of Saskatchewan. Is it, right? Yes. <laughs> God, that's in the middle of nowhere, too. That's, <laughs> it really is. Right. So Hawkins uh, is 2-1 with a 2.92 ERA and 21 strikeouts in 12 and a third innings in his first professional season. The save went to Kobe Robinson, the first of his professional career. Robinson, drafted this year in the 13th round, was making his only a second appearance and has yet to allow a run this season in two innings of work. So Saskatoon is directly north of Montana. Okay. Yeah, it's about halfway up the uh, province of Saskatchewan. Going from the sticks into the deep sticks. Yes. Beautiful country. Strike three Friday, right-handed pitcher Javi Guerra started for the ACL Padres and fired a scoreless inning in his first rehab appearance of the year. That's a name I haven't heard in a long right? time. Recover, I did, right? When I read it, I'm like, Rob, oh, that's right, God, Guerra. Recovering from what was reported as a UCL sprain during spring training, surgery was never announced for the 25-year-old who has spent the year on the 60-day IL. While Guerra's ability is tantalizing, he is out of minor league options and could be at risk of getting designated for assignment when he has to be activated by the end of the year. So after, I think it's a week after the end of the World Series, the 60-day IL is no longer a thing. Right, And all those guys have to come off the IL and go on to the 40-man roster. Right now, I think the Padres have like five or six guys at least on that. So there's going to have to be room made. Yeah. So I think Javi Guerra was already kind of a candidate for DFA in spring before he hurt himself. Yep. So who knows, you know? Absolutely. So uh, River Ryan returned to the lineup for just the second time since August 19th with a pair of hits, including his first professional homer. The Padres 11th rounder out of Division II North Carolina Pembroke, Ryan hit 422 during his redshirt junior season. In addition to a solid break at the plate, he threw 16 innings out of the bullpen and struck out 24 batters. While the Padres called him as a pitcher, he has only appeared as a designated hitter so far as a professional. He's kind of a Swiss Army knife. Dude, that'd be sweet. It's a great name, too. River Ryan. River Ryan. Okay, so moving on to Lake Elsinore. Uh, Strike one. On Wednesday, Max Ferguson made quite an impression in his Storm debut, amassing four hits and adding a pair of stolen bases, including a steal of home. The 2021 fifth-round selection out of the University of Tennessee was viewed as a potential first-round choice before a rough spring season saw his stock drop. If the tools come together, the talented infielder could be a tremendous bargain. And so he's like a hit-first, undersized second baseman. He's like Fraser. He's like, yeah, Fraser of the Major League team. Yeah. He's like a small guy that That, can hit. That might be a decent comp. Sure. Okay, so Cole Cummings joined the club and helped provide some power of his own. The former UC Santa Barbara Gaucho notched his first home run in a Storm uniform as part of a four-RBI night. The 23-year-old undrafted free agent has posted an 893 OPS in his first 25 games as a pro. So, dude, we were talking about these guys in the AZL, in the ACL, the past month. They mm-hmm. just came up. This is their first game against those guys in Cummings who hit, I think, maybe three home runs in, in the ACL. Okay. Already came and hit up another, you know, hit, hit one in a, an affiliated ball. Love it. Pretty good for an undrafted free agent. Not too bad. So strike two Friday, left-handed pitcher Jackson, Jackson woo! Oh, howl at the moon. Fired three shutout innings and struck out three. The true <laughs> two-year-old has thrown 13 innings since the Padres 
drafted him in the fourth round in July, punching out 19 batters between the ACL and the low-A West League catcher, um, period. Catcher um, Gilberto Vizcarra had three hits, including his fourth homer of the year. The Mexicali native since August 1st is hitting in north of 300. Cole Cummings had three hits and drove in three in Friday's victory. Cummings swung the bat well in the complex league to earn the promotion to Lake Elsinore and is 5-for-18 with a homer in a limited sample with the Storm. So I pulled up um, Cole Cummings' numbers. He batted 283 in the ACL, uh, but with a 395 on base and a 500 slugging. And okay. so far in Lake Elsinore, he's batting 333, 407 on base, and a 458 slug. Yeah. Pretty darn good. He's a little bit older, too. I think he's... Uh, yeah, he's a college guy. Yeah, college guy. Yeah. Okay, so strike three, we've got our Lake, the Lake Elsinore Storm Week in Review. So one thing that I like that the Mad Friars has started doing, now that the, the minor league schedule is a consistent Monday is always off. a day off right. for most of the affiliates, and then for El Paso, it's Wednesday. Yeah. Um, on that off day where they do their daily rundown, um, they're doing a, a Week in Review, which yep. is a really useful kind of a, a, a recap. Okay, so... Um, for the Lake Elsinore Week in Review, top prospects. The Storm lost the final two games of the series and had to settle for a split against the worst team in the low AS. That's low the Vesalia Rawhide. Yeah, in the Storm, their record isn't very good. Uh, and that's the case for most of the teams in the Padres organization, but they're also really young. Yeah. After taking an 0-for-6 in the series opener, infielder Jared Dale hit safely in the next four games before getting Sunday off. Dale finished the six-game set with a 300-400-350 slash line to go with four runs scored, four RBI, and four walks. Outside of a poor July, Dale has produced a 700 OPS each month in his first taste of full-season ball. The versatile Dale has flashed a little more pop this season, but he'll need to improve a subpar 6.9% walk rate to take the next step. So Jared Dale is from Australia. Yep. He was drafted as a shortstop. Um, we didn't even see him for the first, I think, three years he was in the organization. I saw him every year I mean, we saw him with the Brisbane training. Bandits, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he played winter Brisbane. ball down there. Um, so this is his first time. He's He was drafted as a shortstop, yep. but he's played all around the infield. Uh, left-handed pitcher Robert Gasser started last Wednesday and threw three innings of one-run ball. The former Houston lefty has been limited due to an innings cap since being drafted in July. In a very limited sample, he has a 1.64 ERA in 11 innings with Lake Elsinore. So it they play the full season. Some of these guys went on and played in the, the draft league or whatever. Yeah. And then they get drafted and they're still, you know, that count, that ticker is still going on, on innings and at-bats and all that stuff. Wear and tear on the body. Absolutely. Yep. So they say, keep an eye on catcher Gilberto Vizcarra has been receiving more playing time after Brandon Valenzuela's promotion to Fort Wayne, and the Mexicali native has made the most of it. In the series against Visalia, Vizcarra went 9-for-20 with a pair of homers, 8 RBI, and just 2 strikeouts. In 12 games since Valenzuela's promotion, Vizcarra is hitting 391, 417, 652, good for 74% above league average. I love that kid. He's like 17 years old. He's the youngest. He's like the second, third youngest guy in the whole league. Yeah, but he's blocking everything behind the plate, and the kid looks like he knows what he's doing absolutely i saw him hit a bomb when i was up there nice yeah so fort wayne so kevin cops has been transferred from fort wayne to san antonio just today just today boom look at talk about fast risers god you know, well i think what and i i think this is the time of year when they kind of set those okay let's put him here in spring training kevin cops will probably start in the double a camp Oh, right because every field you know every field is a level of ball mm-hmm. uh, he'll probably start there and, you know, that'll give them an idea. Some of these guys are, you know, they're in Lake Elsinore. Some of them are in Fort Wayne. So they're moving them into where they may start next year, mm-hmm. depending on what happens. Sure. So going into Fort Wayne, strike one Wednesday. Over the last 54 games since July 7th, the Tin Caps pitchers have the lowest ERA out of all 30 teams in high A. 
at 3.73, as a team has gone 28 and 26 in this stretch. Caps pitchers have all have allowed the fewest home runs in high A, 27, over their first 54 games. They ranked ninth in ninth. 12th in high A Central at 5. Ninth out of 12th. Ninth out of 12th, thank you. In high A Central at 5.25 and had a 23 and 31 record. As a team, the Tin Caps lead the HAC in doubles with 199. Individually, outfielder Tercero Nelas leads the league in doubles with 30, while infielder Justin Lopez ranks 7th with 22. The Tin Caps lead the HAC in free passes, walks, or hit by pitches. Not Dwayne Williams, ah! second, though. <laughs> He's in double He's A. He's in double A. He's right. Yep. Averaging five per game, Fort Wayne is walking in approximately 12% of its plate appearances. The rest of the league is walked at a 10% rate. For context, the Yankees MLB, the Yankees lead the MLB in based on balls with 10.6. The Padres rank third at 10%. When it comes to swinging at the right pitches, outfielder Tristan Ornelas has the fourth lowest swing and miss rate in the league. Swinging and missing at only 8% of those pitches. So the major league, everyone talks about player development, player development. In the lower minors is when you start building those, when you start building the, the building blocks of your career. You know, you get high A, you're just happy to be out of the goddamn complex, starting to figure out how to become a professional baseball player. When you get into double, and when you get into higher A, that's the next step up. You got to start. Okay, I need to start walking less. I need to start walking more, striking out less. You start building your profile as with your eye. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think you know where you start to develop it even more. When you get into double A, when you get into triple A, is when all that stuff that you've learned there, you're continuing to develop. Where you really have to rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like from an organizational philosophy standpoint, that's been consistent across the levels. Is yeah. they're they're looking at that that chase rate, they're looking at walk rate. They want guys to to learn that discipline because um, it's not something that you can you know at age twenty eight you can all of a sudden figure out how to become right. an on base machine. That's right. something that you have to learn early on. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the beginning of the season, the, the major league team were doing that. Yeah, grinding out at bats, not swinging at bad pitches. Now they may not be striking out as much. Well, a couple of players are, but I think they're you know swinging early in the count. Yes, they're just they're you know and that's yeah the, trying too hard. The approach that seemed to be making them so successful has disappeared. And yeah. so who's responsible for getting that back under control yeah. or whatever? Anyway, uh, strike two on Thursday. The first two hits of the high A level for Angel Solarte came in his second game since being promoted to Fort Wayne. Salarte, a 20-year-old outfielder from Caja Seca, Venezuela, was promoted from Lake Elsinore on September 4th after slashing 306, 351, 407 in 248 at-bats for the Storm. We had an affiliate debut tonight in Fort Wayne last Thursday as Victor Duarte debuted in a Tin Caps uniform after being promoted from the Complex League. The 20-year-old Duarte started behind the plate and is batting 500 in a high A after a pair of hits. The native of Tucupira, Venezuela, yeah. was signed by the Padres in the summer of 2018 and debuted stateside this year in Arizona. The the impressive work continues for Chase Walter in his first professional season, posting a 3.12 ERA and 1.15 whip in six appearances for Fort Wayne since being promoted from Lake Elsinore. Beastmaster. Where, <laughs> where his ERA stood at 2.28 to go with a 1.27 whip in 23 appearances for the Storm. The six foot seven Walter was signed after the 2020 draft by the Padres out of Western Carolina. So that was the five round draft. Yeah. So you had a handful of guys signed as un, undrafted, undrafted free agents. Right. So strike three Saturday, lefty Noel Vela turned uh, Noel Vela 
turned into another solid outing, striking out eight over four frames. The 22-year-old has held high A central batters to a 223 batting average and sports a 2.97 ERA in 30 in the third inning since joining the Tin Caps. The night before, Fear the Gogs' Danny Den struck out seven lug nuts over five innings. Robert Hassel had had the big blow, a three-run homer to center. Ball was punished. Mm. Punished. Uh, Hassel's fourth home run in only 12 games since he arrived in high A was enough to move up to fifth on the home run challenged Fort Wayne club. Between Lake Elsinore and Fort Wayne, Hassel has 11 home runs on the year, and Hoslarte collected four hits in his third game with the Tin Caps and is now 6-for-12 since his promotion in high A. In Terce Ornelas went 2-for-5 two for, two for in slashing 358, 552, and 528 over his last 15 games. Ornelas is exactly at the league average in offensive production. I think he's had to go, you know, had the up and down season where he's had to really sustain production to get to average. Right. Which is which isn't bad. Which isn't a bad thing. Yeah. He's trending up, but you know, he's trending and now he's treading water. Yeah. So Zach Mathis, who I just fucking love this guy. <laughs> Mathis is just every time you see him, he's just a short guy, he's always chewing gum. He's got glasses on, left handed hitter, a little pudgy guy. Not really pudgy, but he's like a short guy. He's like from LSU. I love that guy. Yeah. He was he wasn't in uh, he wasn't in Lake Elsinore long enough for me to well I wanted to talk to him but you know we never got a chance to but anyway Zach Mathis three space three times and has his OBP up to three sixty one and thirty games with Fort Wayne looks like he's been playing uh, third base pretty pretty exclusively yeah yeah absolutely okay so moving on to San Antonio oh you know, before I move on I want to point out that uh, Lake Elsinore they're having their final uh, home stand of the season this yeah. week. Uh, so if you want to catch any minor league baseball and you're in the Southern California area, get up there right now. Um, and then Fort Wayne just closed out their season. They did. They did. They just had a successful full year of COVID, varying degrees of COVID, you know, happening. All the protocols and all that. Absolutely. But they do such a fantastic job at that ballpark. Absolutely. So I've, if you follow their Twitter account, you'll see all the thanks that they've been tweeting out to everybody and, <sighs> and all the reach. They keep retweeting all the appreciation that they get um just happy for them to have another good year you know and remember we talked to him at the beginning of the season he's like yeah we'll have ac come on like, we totally forgot about that the season blew by <laughs> well the season went by so fast it so, went by so fast so in the off season we'll reach out to some of those guys yeah. okay so uh fort wayne we just covered that san antonio uh san antonio missions week in review they won four of six against the frisco rough riders Top prospects. The Missions won a series against first place Frisco last week. At 55 and 59, the Missions will need to sweep their final series to finish above 500. Short got, shortstop Eggy Rosario hit safely in the first five games of the series before going 0 for 4 with a walk on Sunday to finish the series 292, 393, 414 with nine strikeouts. Rosario's contact frequency has been in, extremely inconsistent this year. Rosario struck out just four times in 51 plate appearances coming into the series. Overall, the infielder has been solid this season for the missions, hitting 283, 362, 454 with career-high 11 homers. Esteri Ruiz hit a pair of homers last week, but had a quiet series overall, hitting just 185, 214, 444, although his strikeout rate was a manageable 17.2%. He was just 3 for third, three for 20 on balls in play. And he's kind of an enigma. Yeah. That He's he's so crazy athletic, and he can do things that definitely make your eyes pop. And then he'll go through these stretches where it's like, man, he just looks he's struggling. Yeah, because he'll have a really good game, hit a homer, have a double, and you're like, holy cow, where's that? Yeah, and it, the next game go. For, I mean, go it, for, the, the Alfonso Soriano comps kind of do continue to stick with him. Um, 
you know, as far as the inconsistency and the athleticism, but then the errors and all that. Absolutely. So this is what Matt Fryers wrote about the Mackenzie Gore uh, pitching uh, in double A. He pitched Saturday with his first outing as a San Antonio mission. Gore pitched well overall, but ran into trouble when he came out for the sixth inning. Gore walked three batters before being lifted. The top prospect ended up throwing 97 pitches. The missions have one week left in the season, so Gore should get one more start with the missions. El Paso season runs through the first week of October, so it's conceivable that Gore could get a pair of starts at AAA level before the season ends. That makes a lot more sense to me than your calling him up to the major scenario. Yeah, absolutely. And he they did say in the, in the regular rundown was, like, there was, why did they bring him up in that sixth inning? There's mm-hmm. no reason. He ended on a high note, let him go there, but then they brought him out. They, he probably had a pitch count. Yeah, maybe they wanted to, to have him hit 95 pitches. Right, right, and see what you can do. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so keep an eye on Ethan, Ethan Skinder. Had another good week for the missions as the infielder continues to produce at the plate. In the Frisco series, Skinder hit two, three... Hit 320, 393, 440 with three doubles, two runs, and a pair of walks. Since being promoted to San Antonio, the 24-year-old Skender has produced a 111 weighted runs created plus. Dude, he's tearing it up. He is. And that's, it's really surprising to see because I think he kind of came up for an injury. Well, yeah. Yeah. Somebody got hurt. I don't remember who it was. And he got called up. But then he's stuck. He's been their starting second baseman yeah. ever since he came up. Yeah. Big Ethan Skinner fan over here for oh, us on yeah. the farm. On and off the field. Yeah, Absolutely. So strike two Sunday during Sunday's night victory, the San Antonio Missions pitching staff struck out 17 batters. The team finished one shy of their season high of 18 strikeouts from August 5th against the Corpus Christi. Pedro Avila recorded nine strikeouts in five innings of work. He tied Adrian Martinez for the most strikeouts for a Missions pitcher this season. Kevin Melian, Melian, I'm going to butcher that. Melian. Melian. Showed off his power with the fifth inning solo homer. For Milian, it was his third homer into the season and first since joining the missions. It was his ninth homer of his career. Yeah, he was with El Paso in 2019, I want to say. Or with, uh, I'm sorry, Lake Elsinore. Yeah, absolutely. So strike three, Jose Cazada converted his 18th save of the season Sunday night. With six games remaining, Cazada has a chance to make some mission history with one more converted save. Cazada would be tied for 10 most saves in a season in missions history, with two saves, he would tie for the ninth most. With three saves, he would be tied for the eighth most. His what about eight- with four saves? How about if he got five saves? <laughs> okay, just take it easy. Hold on. Because there's the all for naught. His 18 saves are currently tied for the third most across all of minor league baseball. He trails Chris Wright, who has converted 20 saves between San Jose and Eugene. That's high A and low A. Yes. Because Eugene is now high A and Jose San Jose, San Jose is low A. All this earned him a promotion to El Paso just today. Which means he's probably not going to be getting any more saves. Probably not getting any more today. Because Stephen Wilson's been their closer. And I'm pretty sure he's pretty stoked to just get out of AA and oh, into yeah. AAA. Yeah, because you get a big pay raise going from AA to AAA. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so he got promoted to El Paso. We're going to move on to El Paso. Strike one, the Chihuahuas released veteran infielder Nick Taniello and right-handed pitcher Brett Kennedy. Tanelu, 29, signed with the Padres as a minor league free agent prior to the 2021 season. The former Ranger farmhand hit 233, 299, 415 with 14 homers and 42 RBI in 88 games for the Chihuahuas. He was primarily third base and first base. Kennedy, age 27, was drafted by the Padres. He's 27. It seems like he's been around forever. 
Uh, he was drafted by the Padres in the 11th round in 2015 out of Fordham University. Kennedy moved up through the system and reached the big leagues in 2018 when he appeared in six games. Um, he then had a knee injury, he right. had knee surgery, missed most of a season. Uh, this season, Kennedy has pitched primarily for El Paso and struggled mightily. In 13 games, 10 starts for El Paso, Kennedy pitched to a 10.35 ERA, allowing a staggering 46 unearned run, 46 earned runs in 40 innings. Which guarantees that he's going to get picked up for a minor league free agent next season. Yeah. Come up with a spot start and throw a two-hit shutout against the Padres. Against the Padres. <laughs> oh, my God. For the Diamondbacks, watch, right? Right. Watch that happen. Watch oh. it happen. So we were supposed to those guys good luck. And, you know, particularly Kennedy. He didn't come up. We're like, wow, this is he, – he'd have great start. Holy cow. And then he'd have just a tank. Well, that year, that 2018 season, he he moved up through the levels. And it yeah. was one of these things where it's like nothing that he does stands out. But he just kept getting guys out right. everywhere he went. Right. Had an amazing year. But doesn't have a fastball with great life. Doesn't have a breaking breaking ball that really stands out. He just got guys out. And, and so he got hurt. And then yeah, probably needs another full year to get healthy. Yep. So strike through Thursday. After allowing 12 runs and eight innings in his first two AAA starts, Adrian Martinez has shown more poise in his subsequent three starts for El Paso, allowing seven runs and 15 innings, including tonight's four innings with two earned. The slider sinker righty who earned a double-A central pitcher of the month honors for July, thanks in part to his .32 ERA for the month, now has a four-point ERA in September in nine innings of work between two starts. So he's right at the ship a little bit. Right at the ship a little bit. And that happens when you move up level. Oh, yeah. Not every time someone comes up, they're going to dominate. Particularly when you get into the Pacific Coast League where it's like, God, it's the moon. For sure. Tonight was a seventh straight appearance for Stephen Wilson without allowing a walk. The 27-year-old Wilson has impressed this season with a .84 whip and only 11 walks and 34 and two-thirds innings pitched while striking out 57 batters. Jose Azucar continues to perform at the plate on the base pass and in the field. Base pass. And the 25-year-old center fielder acquired as a minor league free agent before the season after spending the duration of his career with Detroit is slashing 293, 333, 465 in his first 99 at-bats in AAA level. He's also stolen 11 bases in that time and is stealing after stealing 15 in 301 at-bats in San Antonio. So tonight's three-homer, uh, three-hit game, excuse me, uh, marked a third multi-hit outing for Ivan Castillo this September. The switch-hitting infielder slashes 360, 407, 560, and 25 at-bats this month. We're both getting a little tongue-tied. We are getting a little tongue-tied. This is running late. Okay, so strike three. Uh, bringing it home. Sunday, Jose Azokar went three for five with two doubles, a triple, and an RBI in the win. He now has hits in 25 of his first 30 AAA games. Taylor Colway reached base four times with the home run and three walks and had two RBIs. Colway's 396 on base percentage is eighth best in the AAA West. Brian O'Grady. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Brian O'Grady went two for five with a solo home run. Stephen Wilson, Evan Miller, and Parker Markle all had shutout outings Sunday. Yes. Okay, so what I'm doing this weekend, now that there's like one person that's left it on and they're doing housework in their place and they're not really paying attention, is we partner we've partnered with uh, Mike from uh, Adopt a Minor Leaguer. And I will be delivering uh, Chipotle gift cards to the Storm and to the Inland Empire 66ers this Saturday. That is awesome. And in partnership with Advocates for Minor Leaguers, I will be um, in inept, uh, in uniform, or at least in Advocates for Minor Leaguers t-shirt, handing out information on their organization and, you know, kind of putting pedal to the metal or, you know, rubber to the road and letting fans know that minor leaguers deserve to be 
paid better. So you will be advocating for advocates be, for minor I leaders. will be an agent for change. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. So Thank when, the, you. when the music's over, turn out the lights. So the music is over for Fort Wayne and for... Um, for Lake Elsinore, yep. they're completing their seasons on the road after this. Um, so that's I wanted to kind of give them a nod. Like, yeah, absolutely. And this well weekend is the last, guys. the 18th, the Sunday is the last game in Lake Elsinore. Sunday is the last game for all of minor league, but high, uh, but AAA. Right. So with the music's over, turn out the lights. Yes. Oh, and the music is almost over for the Padres. It is, and you can reach me on Twitter at sd donovan. I'm at zippy underscore tms. When the music's over, turn out the lights, turn out the lights, turn out the lights. While the music is your special friend, and some fires in intense, Until the end Until the end